Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behaviour, sleep and more. History was one of my favourite subjects at school. It's always been interesting to me to find out how we've ended up where we are today. But some periods of our past can be dark and painful, particularly when that past is part of who we are today. So how do we speak to our youngest kids about this country's troubled past, specifically when it comes to the treatment of the First Nations people of this land? Anita Heiss is a member of the Wiradjuri Nation of Central New South Wales and a prolific author. Her book, Am I Black Enough for You?, was recently reissued, 10 years, in fact, after its original publishing. Hi, Anita. How are you? Oh, good morning. I should say Yiridimurang. Oh, no, actually, good morning in Wiradjuri's Marang Naran. I'm very well, thank you. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, Look, given we're talking about history... Are you able to give us a short rundown, if that's at all possible, of your history when it comes to your family and your feeling of place in Australia? Of course. Um Yeri Dumarung, Yuindu Yanada Heis, Baladu Rajri Gialung, Arambichibu, Brunglibu, Miagandi, Bala Williams, uh Yindamaladu, Warajri, Balga Balga Galangbu, Balagi Bangbu, Balambambu Bu, Nurumbangbu. Yinjimaradu, Yagrabu, Turubugu, Mianjin, Maine. So what I've said in my language to answer your question or partially answer your question and introduce myself is, G'day, my name is Anita Heiss, or I am Anita Heiss, and I have Wiradjuri belonging from Arambi and Brungle missions. So they're the two Aboriginal missions where my family are from. They're in central New South Wales. I said, my family my Miagana, the Williamses. So that's connecting me to my family name and Aboriginal people know where Williams people come from. I said I respect my Wiradjuri elders and my ancestors and those who have passed over and country. And then I paid respects to the country where I am living on and working on every day now up in Mianjin, which is the traditional name of Brisbane, the Yagara and Turbul peoples. So I've placed myself for your listeners within my traditional country and my current place of residence and where I'm not obviously a traditional owner here but of course I have a responsibility to manage and care for country here and my mum as I mentioned my mum was born on a Rambi mission also known as 32 acres it wasn't a church it wasn't actually a mission so there were missions and reserves Um, so the government ran reserves and the church ran missions but both uh, neither Brungle or a Rambi were church run, but they were both called missions or um, I have family in Griffith and Tumut and Canberra as well. And I have a chapter in, as you mentioned, Am I Black Enough You has just been re-released. I have a chapter in there, which is a new chapter, and it's titled On Not Becoming a Queenslander because I was never really a, self, a New South Wales, uh, New South Welsh person because my sense of patriotism, if we're talking about place, and country in Australia, my sense of patriotism is to Wiradjuri country. And we are known as the people, and that country for you know people who don't know, we're known as the people of the three rivers. So the Murrumbidjibilla, the Murrumbidji River, the Womble, which is the Macquarie River, 
and the Galari or the Kalari, which is the Lachlan River. So when for me, pl- those are the places that I think of and my connection to place is around um, central New South Wales. Just Steve, even in your answer there, it touches on a distinct difference between how children are taught about the history of this country today and how our First Nations people relate to the history of this country. Putting that aside for a minute, how were you taught about Australian history when you were a child? I think this might be the first time I've been asked that question and I'm 53 now and I'm trying to think back and to be honest, I started school in 1974 and I don't remember learning history as it were in primary school. I I honestly do not remember learning history in primary school. And when I was in high school, it was the standard, the boats came into Botany Bay, there were Aboriginal people standing on the shore with spears and Australia as we know it began. So there were zero references in high school even in the 80s to, and certainly no use of the word invasion, discussion around an invasion invasion means in which which is what happened and we're talking about language you know we talk about colonization and settlement and they were the processes that happened post-invasions there was no references to that no references to warfare no references to the impact of colonization no mention of the policies of assimilation and acts of protection that removed children from family from country from culture and identity which were acts of cultural genocide none of that at all so i as a child i didn't learn any of that and any you know i had an austrian father and an aboriginal mother and their daily lives were about working from daylight to dark. My mother worked nights actually at the local Skyline Drive-In Theatre and their, our li- their lives were about making sure we had the education that they never had. And so when you, how I say that out loud, we see, I see, I saw as an adult and uh, how much the education system failed all Australian children then. You know, I'm an advocate for a national curriculum so that every child in every state and territory is learning on a level playing field everything they should know about this country today. It's so interesting you say that because I went to primary school in the 80s. I remember my history from that time being pretty much what you explained your history was in um, high school. And it feels like there's a huge schism in a way because it's the adults that are teaching the children today. So even if we take it outside of the classroom, Mm. I am the adult responsible for explaining history to my child today. And I feel that my education has huge holes in it, Mm. even though I know more today because we've, you know, grown and evolved and learnt more. I still feel very poorly equipped to talk to my children about the past because it feels very complicated to me as a white person trying to explain to my child all of this stuff that's happened and why, I mean, it's not hard to say why it's important, but trying to explain their role in it. I'm wondering if you see it as something that is complex and nuanced or do you feel it can be very straightforward. 
Well, first of all, I think parents should stop, or whether it's your parent, the guardian, the eldest sibling, an auntie and uncle, I think adults need to stop thinking as in a space that this is, I need to learn this to teach my the children. I think adults need to think of it, reframe that to they need to be learning it for themselves because I meet a lot of people saying, oh, but I didn't know we weren't taught in school. And I'm like, you're 50 now. <laughs> like you, you, you really cannot stop. You need to stop blaming the education system. Get a book out, go to a gallery, go to the, you know, go to the library, go watch some theatre, watch a movie, watch a documentary, watch NITV, listen to the radio, follow Indigenous X on social media. So adults really need to reframe the education and focus on themselves because once they do that and learn for themselves, having the conversations with children, whether they're their own or someone else's, will actually be much easier. I think so, I mean, essentially parents or adults need to arm themselves with the knowledge first and feel on top of the issue and the theme, whatever that is, that they're going to speak to the children about and feel comfortable themselves before trying to talk to kids, for example, around the stolen generations, the process, uh, the policies, the reasons behind the policies, and then the impacts of those policies. And then just keep the language simple. That's why I think using picture books is a brilliant way to teach history, not just to kids. I read pretty much every picture book that comes out of Magabala and learn something new all the time. And I think we are in a moment in time when truth-telling about history is finally gaining momentum in Australia and parents, aunties, uncles and and older siblings, as I mentioned, because we all have different roles to play and I don't have children but I have a responsibility and want to talk to my nieces and nephews about a whole lot of things, including our history, our shared history. And I think history in children's picture books is an excellent way to teach and learn ourselves. And I think Magabala, for your listeners, you just need to go to the Magabala Books website and you'll find a wealth of material and teacher's notes and everything that, that can be used by parents. And if I may just give a couple of examples, I mean, sure. there's been a lack of a lack of recognition, for example, for First Nations people's participations in, in war. And so there's a couple of great books that have come out of Magabala, Alfred's War, Unmasked Lack of Recognition Given to Australian Indigenous Servicemen Who Returned from the World War II Battle Lines. It's around a particular story from of, about Alfred, who was a young man when he was injured and shipped home from France. So there's, there's one example. Another one that came out recently was Charlie's Swim. Fascinating story, also set during World War II. And... I think, you know, this book speaks to our heroes, which also, you know, we we need to have more recognition for our heroes, which hasn't happened en masse at, by Australians at large. The history also obviously around the stolen generations. And I've had parents say to me, don't you think, and I'm sure you, you, there's parents listening to this today, but don't you think, you know, young children in school and, and five and six and seven and talking about the stolen generations is too serious but the reality is it was children of those ages who were removed from their families so there's a great book called down the hole which is the true story of the state people stealing children in south australia um and it's a children's picture book that takes very complex aspects of history 
which you mentioned in your intro, and politics, and it translates it and simplifies it to help both children and adults to understand and engage with and, and try to relate to real-life events and their consequences. And in contrast to that book, uh, there's a book called Bush Games and Knuckle Bones, and that tells a very different story to most books on the Stolen Generations. And it looks at happy young children playing games while being in Colebrook Children's Home at Unadada in South Australia. And I do believe with the right scaffolding, there are very gentle but meaningful ways to engage in those dark moments in history for young people. Do you think it needs to be different depending on whether you have a connection to First Nations people in your past because your present will be directly impacted, most likely in a negative way from what's happened in the past, to talking to children who don't have that connection? I don't think it needs to be different. I know that it will be different. Because I don't know one Indigenous family who has not been impacted by the process of colonisation, the removal of children under government policy and so on. So I think the conversations will be different because First Nations parents will know how to draw connections to their own family histories to discuss whatever aspects of Australian history they are talking about with their kids. Now, I'm guessing there may be some some guardians or some caregivers to First Nations kids who are non-Indigenous carers and you know there's a there's an added responsibility there for those for those caregivers for them to try and understand the relationship that those children may have to those stories of the past and it will require those caregivers to perhaps do different research to the lineage of those children as well they may be caring for children who are descendants of children who were removed So I think the conversations will will most definitely be different. I was listening to Robin D'Angelo, the author of White Fragility, recently, and she said something that struck a chord with me. She said there's a difference between a child feeling the weight of guilt and a child feeling uncomfortable. So I think some parents, when you talk about our history and the vast disadvantage that is present today because of our history, that some parents worry that we're going to be burdening our children with this immense feeling of guilt. And what she was saying is, okay, guilt might not be very productive, but we shouldn't be trying to stop our children from feeling uncomfortable when it's appropriate. And I'm wondering if that resonates with you or what you think about that. Hmm. I think the reality is that children need to experience all emotions, and they already do, whether they are talking about history or they've had an argument with their best friend at school. Kids know what guilt feels like, but they also know compassion. And I think non-Indigenous parents feeling that they don't want to discuss difficult topics from history with their children are thinking in an incredibly privileged way. As I mentioned, it was, you know, Aboriginal children who were ripped away from their parents in history. And First Nations people have to deal with that on a daily basis. We are reminded that of that on a daily basis. So if you choose not to talk about the dark moments, you are choosing what moments in history that you want your children to learn and know about. And that would be unacceptable in the classroom. So it should be unacceptable, I think, in the home as well. Previously, you were saying that 
you know, adults need to educate themselves so that they can talk to their kids about these moments in history. But I'm wondering, is formal education and the way we teach our history to children fundamental to proper reconciliation? Because it adds a weight of, I don't want to say truth because we know it's the truth, but in terms of education embracing that story, that feels like then it becomes more mainstream. So it's not just me with my opinion, it's actually backed up by the education department. I mean, is that a necessary part of the process to reconciliation? It's it's one part of the process. And I think I think we have a national curriculum. We have cross-cultural, you know, cross-curriculum priorities that involve Indigenous perspectives. So that's happening. But I don't think parents and adults and people who are already outside of the education system should just expect and rely on, you know, the classroom to, to, to do all that because the heavy lifting in, recon- in the reconciliation process is meant to be done by non-Indigenous people. That means every single person listening to your podcast needs to be participating in the process and not expecting it to be done by corporates with a wrap or in, at the school and so forth. It's, it's not difficult, honestly, to, to be part of a process. And really, if you want to be an ally, you just need to listen and learn and engage. So my recommendations to your beautiful listeners would be to really simply, if you are in a book club, for the next 12 months, set First Nations titles. They can be poetry. They could be a kid's picture book or a graphic novel or a memoir because we write across every genre. So you, you set a book, one book each month for the next 12 months, and you read and you listen and you learn and you see our lives through our lenses. Tune into Indigenous media. Follow key accounts on social media. Elevate Indigenous voices on your own platforms. Share stories. Uh, read the Uluru Statement. Share the statement with your friends and your family and talk about it. Write to your local MP. When this goes to a referendum, you need to make some noise. That's what being part of the process is about. Support Indigenous business. Buy black products. When you're thinking of a birthday present for your best friend, buy a beautiful pair of earrings by an Indigenous creator, you know, so we, we are creating products across pretty much every sector. That is how you're part of the process. You are elevating our businesses, our voices. You are saying that what we do in society matters every day. So it's not really that hard, I don't think. There are really, really simple ways to help be part of, part of change and show respect and build bridges. You mentioned um, several books previously that have been that you recommended for parents to read with their kids. And there's a book that is um, recently out called A Story for Simon by Lisa Sarzen and Lauren Briggs. And I just found that um, story quite interesting because it, it did explore what the idea of reconciliation can look like for children. And you mentioned there things that we can do as adults to participate in reconciliation. Do you have any thoughts on ways we can involve children as well. Sit down and read those beautiful picture books with your kids. Take your children to to events, you know, take your children to the January 26th marches. 
which are, you know, but celebrating who we are, but also acknowledging that January 26 is not the day to celebrate a national holiday when it marks the point of invasion and, the, you know, the beginning of genocide in this country. Take your children to events that are, you know, Indigenous-focused, to galleries and so forth. Watch documentaries with them. Talk about what's happening on the, in the documentary. Watch the final quarter, which is, the, which is the, the documentary about Adam Goods and racism in sport. There are so many resources that you can sit down and do with your children, which is also can be entertaining and engaging. We don't need to just be doing the dark moments in our history. We can be doing lots of fun things. Watch YouTube, watch YouTubes of head, shoulders, knees and toes in the Wiradjuri language. Have some fun. And there's a lot to be celebrated, of course. I mean, we were... I was talking about the difficult things, but as you say, when you've got over 60,000 years of culture, there is a lot of things we could be learning and embracing as well with our children. The, the problem in this country is that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are referenced nearly always in relation to a deficit position, right? We don't talk about the excellence and the joy that we have in our lives. Every single well, we talk about it, but we don't see it in the mainstream. And I think... Starting to position within your own homes, position Indigenous peoples as a beautiful culture, beautiful people, successful, not just in sports and the arts, but everywhere, will also change the conversation that your children have with other people. And I think that's something that parents and caregivers can, can easily do as well. Anita, you've given us so much to think about. Thank you so much for your time today. Mandangu, thank you. That's Anita Heiss. She is the author of the recently re-released Am I Black Enough for You? and a swathe of other books. I'll put links in the notes of this episode for where you can find out more. I'm Siobhan Hunt. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us so we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, send your email to feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.